High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. The name Sasha, Thumper. I remember her number like the summer. When her and Susie, yeah, they threw a slumber. Party, but you can't call it that because it was slumber. Well, it was more like spending night. Three in the morning, yawning, dancing under street lights. We chilling like a feeling and a n- feeling right. In the middle of the ghetto, on the curb, but in spite. All of the bush, we on our back, staring at the stars above. Oh, Talking about what we gonna be when we grow up. I say what you wanna be, she said alive. It made me think for a minute. <laughs> Welcome to a very special edition of High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place, but today's party is going to be a little bit different. This is kind of a soft launch of two things, really. First, a new format on the show. As you know, we have all our episodes on Fridays, and those will still be our regular episodes. Don't worry, every Friday you'll still have a High School Slumber Party episode. We're building up to go back to twice a week. I want to go twice a week. Twice a week has been super fun in the past. It was a little nerve-wracking, but I think that was mostly because I didn't know what direction the show was going in. So I thought about it for a couple months and really decided that I want that second episode every week to be really special, to really mean something, and to focus on particular projects. So this is the soft launch of that, but it's also the soft launch of one of those specific projects. And this project we're calling here the Black Teen Experience. Long story short, there are a lot of great black teen films. Black directors, black actors, black musicians, black artists. Of course, there's black teen horror films, there's black teen comedies, there's black teen every single genre. So it's a genre within a genre. We know we cover so many genres here in High School Slumber Party, but it's obviously an important one. And yeah, I don't think I've done justice to covering these black teen movies in the past, but I kind of was waiting for the right partner and the right opportunity. Kirkland Shepard will be joining me on this odyssey through great black teen films. And he's actually the one who brought this up to me once. He was like, we should do this. We need to talk more black teen films. I think he might have been suggesting to me. And I said, you know what? Do it with me. Let's do this together. It's going to be fun. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. Going forward, the format isn't going to be like the format today because we just kind of sat down and shot the shit just talked about this great movie, Boys in the Hood. And Boys in the Hood is going to be a perfect, perfect jumping-off point for us, for this Black Teen Experience series, for the show, for the relationship between me and Kirk. I'm so looking forward to the movies we're going to cover, but we can't look past Boys in the Hood. But going forward, even the opening is going to change, the closing is going to change. I want Kirk involved from the beginning to end. So the episode took me a little bit longer to produce than I thought, Because I wasn't sure, again, how I wanted to put it out, what the format should be. So this is kind of a test. Let me know on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let me know what you think. Let me know what I should change. Let me know what I shouldn't change. 
let me know what from the main High School Slumber Party feed I should incorporate on this show. Let me know what we don't need here. I want this to feel different. I want it to look different, even though you can't see a podcast. I just want it to be very different. And this is the first of a couple projects we're going to be working on, but this is one that has me so excited. Before we get into the movie, a little bit about Kirkland Shepard, my co-host. He's actually a friend of mine. I've known him for a couple years now. We always have great dialogue, real great guy, real good talker, and I think, again, you're going to really get to know him through this series. The more movies we do, the more we're going to be able to shoot the shit and have a good time and talk about these movies, and he brings a great perspective to them. So really, I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. So let's do it. Pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping at Brian's. Brian and Kirk's. We're doing this together. (laughs) Because we're about to get our party on. Let's leave you with the song that started it all. The song that the movie's named after. It's not in the movie. I think there was beef. We'll go into it. But it is, of course, Boys in the Hood, Easy e N.W.A. Class dismissed. Woke up quick. At about noon, just thought that I had to be in Compton soon. I gotta get drunk before the day begins, before my mother starts bitching about my friends. About to go and damn near went blind, young niggas at the pad throwing up gang signs. Ran in the house and grabbed my clip, with the Mac-10 on the side of my hip. Bailed outside and pointed my weapon, just as I thought the fools kept stepping. Jumped in the foe, hit the juice on my ride. I got front and back and side to side. Then I let the Alpine play. play, play. Bumping new shit by NWA. It was gangster, gangster at the top of the list. Then I played my old shit. It went something like this Cruising down the street in my 6 4. Jocking the bitches. Slapping the hoes. Went to the park to get the scoop. Knuckleheads out there, cold shooting some hoops. A car pulls up. Who can it be? A fresh El Camino rolling Kilo G. He rolled down his window and he started to say, It's all about making that GTA. Cause the boys in the hood are always hard. They come talking that trash, we'll pull your car. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, cause I ain't said shit. So, Kirk, uh, this is kind of something we've been talking about for a while now. But I'm excited to do it. I'm excited to start it. You picked a good movie to start with. So yeah. I'm really happy for that. The series that we're going to be talking about and, and doing together, it's all about the black teen experience. For me, growing up, it's not something I experience, obviously. I know this is a podcast, so surprise, surprise, everyone. I am not black. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> that's what you were wondering. Uh, I am not, you know, we won't get into genetics, but in terms of I grew up in the suburbs. I was thinking about this today. Just in terms of, you know, my teenage experience. And, you know, you grew up in the suburbs as well. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm Dominican, but you wouldn't tell if you saw me. No one can tell that. No one knows that. You know, I mean, last name, sure. But growing up, you know, was there overall racism I saw? Sure. But most of the racism I was seeing, because people were being racist in front of me and not realizing Mm. I was Dominican. You know what I mean? Right, right, (laughs) right, right. Like, you grew up in the suburbs, too. But you can't hide that you're black. You know right. what I mean? I, not that I was hiding that I was Dominican, <laughs> but it just, it, it's not something that came up a lot. Uh, yeah, Does that def- make sense? It's definitely undercover, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so I've always wanted to cover, obviously, as covering these teen films, I've always wanted to cover 
you know, black teen films. Because that's another thing, too, I realized growing up early on. The world was so black and white. I mean, there was no, like, Latin teen... Well, I guess, what's the one with, like, uh, Stand and Deliver? There's one. Yeah, I don't even even know what you're talking about. (laughs) If I showed you, like, okay, it has uh, Edward James Olmos. He's a math teacher. That's it. Mm. Okay. (laughs) Regardless, there's, like, one Latin high school movie of the era. But it felt like growing up, not just high school movies, there was, like, white movies... That it felt like everyone saw. Yeah. And there were black movies that like Oh yeah. White people just didn't see. You know what I mean? I don't know what it was. Oh yeah. <laughs> Unless you were a certain type of white person <laughs> and you were not yeah, growing up where you grew up. No. Mm-mm. But you had actually suggested kind of a you know, talking about these movies and doing a show like this because it is a it is a gap I've had in my catalog here. A and B I felt like if it was me and my friend Kyle talking about Boys in the Hood. <laughs> it would not have, it just that doesn't feel authentic, you know. First, before we talk about Boys in the Hood, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and I guess why you thought it was important to have this show. Oh man, I mean, these movies are just so damn classic. I grew up out in Long Island, Suffolk County. Not sure how crazy I am about saying that these days. But <laughs> but um, was back and forth, always visiting family in the city, Queens, Brooklyn, and like deep in Queens and Brooklyn, Flatbush and Jamaica, Cambria Heights. And um, it was just a part of growing up, these films. And they were almost like growing up out there, you would feel like they were a cult thing. But they were just a black thing. <laughs> so these are like just a series of films that everyone knows. Language that I'm sure all of you have heard before derives, like just catchphrases derives from scenes in these films. Oh, and there are more than, than I could even begin. We're to definitely going to talk about that because especially with Boys in the Hood, it seems like every line in here yeah. you've heard people say or heard, saw it in a movie or... In terms of uh, just these black teen films, were there any you specifically saw growing up? Man, well, Boys in the Hood, right? The the quintessential, which we'll obviously get into. Um, all of them. Menace to Society, Juice, all the house parties, everything with kid and play. I mean, it goes on, on and on. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to get, uh, well, we can get philosophical, I don't care. But like, I, I think it would take a, about 20 podcasts to dissect this, but why do you think there was that whole, I guess, subsection of black movies, black teen movies that, I'm not saying it doesn't exist now, but it doesn't feel the same. Mm, very yeah. interesting. <clears throat> very interesting. Oof. I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously the emergence of like what was modern hip hop at that time mm. had a lot to do with it. These stories were beginning to be told through really music tall, yeah. that was more mainstream. So I just think that those two have kind of gone together, you know? So, and then there was just a market, you know? For there was sure. a market. They were like, oh, this shit hits. That's a really good point you bring about with the music too, because if you look at the era before Boys in the Hood, you know, great moments in black film history they kind of go along with the music, right? Like, yeah, uh, like yeah, yeah. black exploitation films of the 70s yep. are going along with funk, right? Yep. Like, yep. oh, that's a really good point with the hip hop, too. So, 
yeah, again, I'm not sure what it is. And I know there are some great black filmmakers now, great black actors, as there's always been. But it doesn't feel like... It used to be you go into a blockbuster and there was a section of just these movies. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? <laughs> and then Boys in the Hood, which we'll talk about today, to me started a whole... Or it was close to starting a whole, like, what was it, like a five or six year period, maybe more, of, like you said, Menace to Society. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Juice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just it just hit. It just hit. Anything else you want to say before we dove into Boys in the Hood? If not really. Let's get into it. This is, Bef- this is the one. Before you uh, came on air, you kind of just mentioned to me, like, you know glad you picked this one and you're so right this is such a this is such a good starting off point and uh the other day when we were talking i kind of said i'm like this movie's great but sometimes it also feels like parody yeah but it's not parody because it just it did it first yeah or i don't know we'll get into it a little bit more but my history with this film is i've seen boys in the hood before not really in this kind of watch and most of the time it was like on tnt or they ran this movie a lot on tv and I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because I'm so familiar with it from other things, but there was never a moment that I feel like I hadn't watched before. So I, I probably had seen it front to back, but even if I hadn't, it's so familiar. It's such yeah. a familiar story. Yeah. I mean, do you know even the first time you saw Boys in the Hood or even the last time you saw Boys in the Hood? Oh, man. So there's this whole era of like, I have an older sister who's like four years older. So she would like come home or like her and her friends would hang out and they'd smoke some weed and they'd like watch movies that I just wasn't supposed to be watching. So I always knew that there was a movie on that I wasn't supposed to be watching. We had this den and when the door to the den was closed and they were all hanging out in there, it meant I needed to get up in there to see what was going on. So that's great. I am pretty sure that this with a whole list of other movies like this started off with me like peeking through the door and then, like, one of her cool friends saying, hey, just let him in, man. Like, just let him in. Let him hang. That's awesome. So it was probably something like that. <laughs> I think with this show and for a movie like Boys in the Hood, it's going to be very different. Um, obviously, different experiences for you and me. But I think very different overall. Just to have that kind of analysis or watching Boys in the Hood analytically, I can tell you that none of these films on the list we discussed that I've ever watched analytically. Right. I think Boys in the Hood is one of the more studied ones that we're going to cover because it's, it's such a groundbreaking film, yeah. such an important film, an Oscar-nominated film. But I think we'll get to some where we might be the first ones to ever really examine it that yeah, way. 100%. 100%. percent <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. So, Boys in the Hood, 1991. Every week I like to read the back of the DVD VHS, whatever it happens to be. So here goes. And this is a VHS or DVD or whatever you want to call it, poster that always sticks in my mind because it's got that font, you know, that blue and hood font. <laughs> and Cuba Gooden's outfit. Yeah, yeah, what he's wearing with the, the shirt that has like the, it's yellow and has a black dot. Oh, on he it. was so fly. <laughs> From fresh filmmaker John Singleton, Boys in the Hood is the highly charged, highly acclaimed account of a group of teenagers coming of age and coming to terms with life in L.A.'s violent and volatile South Central District. Raised by the firm hand of his father, Furious, Trey Styles is a good boy growing up in a bad neighborhood. A hood, and it uses uh, parentheses, where gangs with guns cruise the block and helicopters hover constantly overhead. 
Sick of the sound of gunfire and seeing their friends get shot, Trey and friends Doba and Ricky struggle to survive the heat on the street where friendships, pain, love, and danger combine to form a frightening reality. Set to the Streetwise soundtrack featuring Ice Cube, Boys in the Hood is a startling portrayal of survival in a community let loose on itself. Boom. That's it, baby. <laughs> Good classic VHS. <laughs> explanation love seeing that so uh we'll get into some production notes before we get into some of the cool things that happen in this movie of course john singleton as mentioned you know synonymous with boys in the hood this is his first film i mean we lost him recently and only 51 yeah but he was young as hell when he did this 23 years old yeah i just heard that (laughs) or just read that (laughs) what it makes me feel you know not very accomplished in my own life but 23 so he was one of the youngest, if not the youngest, person eventually nominated for Best Director, the first black person nominated for Best Director at 23. And I watched the um, award ceremony just to kind of you know gauge it. And Jonathan Demme won for Signs of the Lambs that year. And what, Signs of the Lambs, great movie. I mean, Boys in the Hood could have won. Signs of the Lambs could have won. I forgot what else was nominated. Oh but Malcolm X in that, too? Maybe. It was stacked. It was either that year or the year after. This huh. was like yeah. a... That was that time, I remember being as a kid, when people were like, why aren't black people getting nominated? I mean, we still hear that now. Yeah. Again, this is the first director to be nominated, right? Like, Denzel was kicking ass and, like, not winning. Yeah. But John Singleton got really pissed off when he didn't win, and you could see it, and that never happens at the Oscars. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I gotta watch that. And it's very brief, and then I read about it, and they were like, oh, yeah, he was pissed. But you know what? I get it for a lot of reasons. He, you know, it's, it's a great movie. Maybe he deserved it. But also, you're 23. Remember yourself at 23, you know? Yeah. You're so proud of yeah. probably what you did. You're there. And some old dude wins for the... Like, yeah. Oh, forget wins. it. You couldn't tell him nothing. <laughs> so I get that, too. Obviously, the title comes from the uh, NWA song, which was written by Ice Cube, Boys in the Hood. Uh, Easy E on that one. And uh, we'll talk about Easy E a little bit later. But uh, Singleton wrote the film based on his life. He was the Trey character. Mm. He said like his dad was similar to that father character. But he specifically wrote the Doughboy character for Ice Cube. He was kind of enamored with Ice Cube. He was an intern on a lot of stuff, including the Arsenio Hall show. And if you think 1991, Arsenio Hall show, 1990, you know. But huge. Everyone's Forget on there. Forget it, yeah. That's when he actually met Ice Cube. And he tried to convince him to do the movie. He went to his concerts to try to convince him to do the movie. And it really didn't work out until, like, the movie got a lot more backing. Because he originally wrote the first draft as his, like, thesis to get into Columbia Film School. Oh, wow. Which is insane, you know? (laughs) (laughs) This movie owes a lot to Do the Right Thing and Spike Lee. Mm. Do the Right Thing was a success. Do the Right Thing was mainstream, for lack of a better word. Which, in this... And this podcast will probably mean white people were watching it. Right, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. And the studio was looking for more Spike Lees, if you will. They were looking for more black filmmakers who were telling black stories. When the studios picked this script up, they originally just wanted some random person to direct it. Probably a white director. I mean, that's what John Singleton says. And he has a really funny quote about it. Let me see. Yeah, so Columbia Pictures bought the script in 1990. So this gets put out in 1991. This is how fast-tracked this was. Damn, It's insane. 
John Singleton said, I wasn't going to have somebody from Idaho or Encino direct this movie. Mm. Like, he was steadfast on it. So they said, okay, whatever. You do it. They knew they weren't going to spend a lot on the cast and, frankly, the budget. There's not, like, big stunts in here, you know? Right. While we recognize a lot of people now, everyone was basically an unknown at the time. Yeah. Everyone. <laughs> it's amazing. 1991, a lot of these people are still active and still winning yeah. awards and stuff. Uh, one cool note about the film, it was shot 100% in sequence. So front to back, they shot the kids part first. Then they shot the teens going forward. Like last scene was the last scene. That was important to John Singleton. But he says in an in- a couple interviews that the movie shot-wise is better as you go along. Because since it is shot in order, he's getting stronger. He's getting better as a director. I wish I read that before I saw it. Oh, I would, yeah. I would have looked for that. But that, that's super interesting. That's super interesting. So as I said, he was nominated for uh, Best Director, but he was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Didn't win either, but, I mean, big deal if you're 23 and you're nominated for Oscars. Especially, again, being black and 23 yeah. in 1991. That It's remarkable. It's amazing. Let's talk about the cast. Cuba Gooding Jr. This is really his breakout role. He'll later win an Oscar for Jerry Maguire. Of course, he plays Trey Styles here, and you said it in that yellow shirt. I'll always remember him. <laughs> oh, man. Uh. I, the names in this, I don't know. Again, that's why I'm not sure if this is something that's like turned up to 11, because it has a very realistic feel, but some of the lines and some of the, again, Furious Styles yeah. is his dad's name, yeah. you know? Yeah. I mean, what do you think of just like, the whole naming <laughs> of the characters here? I, you know, I never thought about it until I came back and watched it. I mean, like, Trey Styles. It was almost like you sounded like a, like a porn star or something. <laughs> Again, like, black culture, man, you hear all kinds of crazy names. Like, Trey Styles ain't shit compared <laughs> to some of the stuff <laughs> I'm sure we'll hear going forward. <laughs> but it does feel like it was turned up a little bit. And it's, maybe that's like the youth of the, uh, of the director and of the writer. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense, too. What do you think of Cuba Gooding Jr. here? Such a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I still remember being younger thinking that Trey was, like, kind of strange. Like, his, his mannerisms, <laughs> you know? What was funny is going back and watching now, I think he, uh, he, he tried to work hard at coming across as his father's son. It made a little bit more sense, like you the, know, like the, his uh, demeanor and the... Yeah, I see what you're saying. You yeah. know? <laughs> but, um, geez, I mean, I don't know how much of it to just chalk up to the 90s or and or to just chalk up to Cuba Gooden or a combination <laughs> of both, you know? So, yeah, like I said, he'll go on to win an Oscar, but it's not far after this. It's Jerry Maguire, and Jerry Maguire sometimes, can, his performance there can, can be a little cringeworthy at times, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> this is a movie too that I just thought I'd bring this up. I see this a lot with not just like black movies, but breakout Asian movies or breakout movies of even Latin movies, everything. When, when there's a good one, Hollywood starts casting almost everyone from that movie and just anointing them that instead of casting that wide net, that's why you see Let's let's look at back at the Asian American community. That's why you see like the same Asian American yeah, guy sure. in every movie, sure. because they did a good role here. And Cuba Gooding got a lot of shit from this movie. I mean, in a positive way. Yeah. He was booking, 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 and now you know his star is not as hot as it was for whatever reason. 
But there was a time where Cuba Gooding Jr. was considered like the preeminent black actor in America. Oh, you yeah. Know? People saw him on Denzel level, which is like interesting <laughs> to think about now. <laughs> it's crazy, but hey, you know what? Like, this is such an iconic role. When I, th- when I close my eyes and think of this movie, I think of him in Ice Cube. Yeah. Of course, Ice Cube as Do- Doughboy, as we mentioned. Something that I found interesting as well with his casting is that Singleton loved the NWA and cast Ice Cube. He thought he was like the coolest member of the NWA, but he wanted the other guys to play like his thugs, like Dookie and mm-hmm. whatever the other guy's name is. And he actually cast them. But then that's famously when Ice Cube left the NWA. He was pissed off at them, obviously, and they, they had to get rid of all of them and just hire actors. But there's a moment here that I read in the trivia, and again, I didn't see, but I have to watch it, that someone's wearing an Easy E shirt, and they get their ass kicked. So I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, wow. You know, this is the heart of gangster rap, the heart of beef. Uh-huh, know, uh-huh. So it is interesting. I remember in, and it was a true story, in Straight Outta Compton, the NWA biopic, that Easy e criticized this movie as an after-school special. Eventually, you know, in the movie, they're like, you know, make amends. I don't know if that actually happened. And he's like, I like after-school specials, whatever. But I-, I thought about that while watching today. And, I mean, what do you think about that? There have been people who have said that about this movie as a criticism. Like a little too preachy, a little too... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So even the term message, <laughs> we got used to saying, like if our parents or a teacher in school was all of a sudden, you know, going to start getting preachy or whatever. <laughs> and be like, message. And that came from this movie. And you always knew it was going to happen because the music, <laughs> yes, the music came in. It was like, if you're hearing that saxophone, that 90s saxophone, yeah. something bad's about to go down. <laughs> but if you're just hearing, you know, your typical strings or whatever, it's like, oh, here comes the message. So this, I think this movie, look, and I actually, I didn't want to, Forget this, as I was watching it. This movie, the themes, this is a, like a cacophony of sex and pregnancy, yes, absentee fathers, drugs and violence, police brutality with an Uncle Tom cop, mm-hmm. gender stereotypes, and the prison complex, right? So it's like he literally just <laughs> like went around the bend to include... All of this stuff. So there was a shit ton of messages. It was like a hood. I can see the, it being a hood after school special, you know? <laughs> so I covered this movie on this podcast called uh, Better Luck Tomorrow. And it was about a bunch of Asian, Asian American kids who kind of start to do crime. And, and, you know, they become kind of gangsters. And famously at Sundance, someone stood up at the screening of that film and said, How dare you portray your community like this? You know, you're portraying your community in negative stereotype. And Roger Ebert got up and said, this is an Asian-American filmmaker, and he is allowed to portray his community however he wants. And I thought about that here, too, because some of the criticisms, even within the black community that I read, is that people are watching this and they're seeing, like, every problem you listed, that's what some racist, conservative person in the middle of the country thinks of black people. Mm. I'm not saying I agree with it. I think I'm more with the Ebert that if you're a black filmmaker, you grew up with this, you could tell whatever story you want. But there is that criticism out there. It's like, what are we showing to the outside world of, right. our, of our culture? Right. A movie like Poetic Justice kind of like rides the line a little bit differently because it's like, yes, there's a lot of those elements in there, but it's also like, here are people studying and, you know, like yeah, like that. But another one I, that you sort of mentioned but, but didn't, and something we've talked about personally on this podcast as well is like, 
the whole black athlete, right? Like his way out of the community is through sports. Yeah, we see that here too. Yeah. So, I I don't know. I I mean, what do you think about that in terms of people's feelings on this movie and stereotypes versus reality and what the <laughs> filmmaker wanted to say? I think it's the quintessential conversation, right? Where stereotypes tend to come from somewhere, you know? So I would love to say that this film was blown out of proportion, but like not really, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yes, there were certain there were certain things that he chose to highlight that happened in the community. Like, the, yeah, they didn't show him in church, <laughs> you, you know? Like, or I'm sure it's a lot of them more than his dad had jobs. They didn't show anybody else at work, but... A lot of situations, nah, they don't, you know? So I think, um, yeah, it was, it was his decision to make, and I can't call it a false narrative. Plus, that shit don't sell. Nobody wants to see that, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you, you brought up music before. So when the movie ends, it's like an Ice Cube song called How to Survive in South Central. And I was listening to the lyrics, and, you know, they were hitting the, like a lot of the notes that you uh, had mentioned, right? And then I, I just had the Alexa, well, I sound so bougie, but I had the Alexa just <laughs> continue to play kind of Ice Cube songs and songs of that era. And, if, and then I was like, play Boys in the Hood, because I hadn't heard it in a while, the, you know, the Easy e NWA mm-hmm. song. And if you listen to that song, that's like boom, 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 like obvious, like, you know, <laughs> saying shit yeah. like that. And so if that's gangster rap and that's selling and that's appealing to people in a community and they're selling places out, this is not that dissimilar. You know? Oh, no. This is the, this is the visual montage of that soundtrack you know really it's gangster rap gangster the rap. movie that's it that's it that's it <laughs> that's it and when you look at it that way and if you, you can't you can't merit to me it, uh, this is to the the haters out there for it you can't merit to me that like that's an art form and maybe they won't think that's an art form i don't know and then say that this movie is like oh too stereotypical right like these things like you said they probably come from realistic places and realistic things yeah so yeah, I just wanted to touch on that because that's always something that you hear, especially again, criticism at the time. Not so much now. This movie is revered now. Mm. There's also an elephant in the room that I, I want to discuss. We kind of had discussed this off air, but I was laughing at things that I shouldn't have been laughing at because of, of course, the uh, Wayne's parody. What is it? What is it called? Don't. Don't be Don't a menace, be menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. <laughs> yes. And they fucking nailed it. Can I curse on here? All good. All good. We're talking boys in the hood. <laughs> that movie, hilarious. Oh, my God. I love that movie. I saw that. I think I saw Boys in the Hood before that movie, but the rest of those films I watched because I saw that movie <clears> oh, yeah? in high school or, yeah. or college or whatever. And the mailman in that is... Uh, I forgot what Wayne's. Ah, uh, Keenan Ivory Wayne's. Okay, yeah, yeah, Keenan yeah. Ivory Wayne's is the mailman, and he actually says like message. Yep, 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 yep. And in this, as I look at the cast thing, uh, John Singleton actually cameoed as the mailman in this. He briefly is the mailman who like gives the letter there. So it was definitely a way of like <laughs> connecting <laughs> that. You know? I didn't know that. <laughs> oh man. And then the uh, just like in that movie, the, the guy would like he got the pacifier in his mouth, just like this movie, uh-huh. which I forgot about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually watched this with my girlfriend. There was just so many questions. She was like, "What?" I was like, "Oh yeah, that was a thing." <laughs> okay, so like, so that really was a thing. Oh, I, that was a thing. I didn't know if that was invented for this movie. No, that <clears throat> that was a thing. There's so many little 
crazy phases because black folks were like, you know, culture pushers. You know what I mean? Just like, oh, we're going to wear our clothes backwards. We're going to wear such and such inside out. We're gonna... So, like, you just got to the point where it's like, oh, we're going to have pacifier pendants. <laughs> Thank God it was short-lived. Oh, my God. I never had one. <laughs> but um, but it was it was a thing. That's insane. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he was spot on with that shit. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the cast, quickly, uh, Angela Bassett plays his mom she's great yeah always a beast great and and we mentioned or maybe we haven't but Lawrence Fishburne plays Furious as his dad and Lawrence Fishburne a couple interesting things about him another show that uh John Singleton interned on this guy was a hustler because he's interned on so many shows if you like read what he Mm. did and he's getting into Columbia University or, you know, at least producing this thesis, directing at 23, so good for him. But he was an intern on Pee-wee's Playhouse, actually. Oh, and Lawrence Fishburne Lawrence was, was on the there. That's cowboy the, dude. Yeah, Cowboy Curtis. <laughs> of course, Lawrence Fishburne, you know, he's in Apocalypse Now, way too young at 16. They didn't even realize he was that young when he was in it. They just knew he had a young look. And that's one of my favorite movies. And he kind of has this lull where he's Cowboy Curtis and things like that. <laughs> and John Singleton kind of brings him back because he asks him to be in this movie and play the dad. Funny thing about it is he's only seven years older than Cuba Gooding Jr. In the film? Yeah. Wow. Well, in whatever, in life. In life, in life, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, that tracks... He makes that look good. <clears throat> yeah, he does such a good job. He makes that look good. But it tracks in terms of a sense of like what you see him doing like later in the decade and, and stuff like that. Because he's not that old now to be this guy's dad at that point. But he does such a good job. I love Lawrence Fishburne, and I really like him in this. I know he's a preachy dad, and I know he literally... If you want to say that message thing, he's all about the message. Oh, you know? I, but that's so <laughs> legit. He was like the dad that... Every fatherless young black kid imagined a dad was supposed to be, you know, even to the point where when I think when Trey rolls up, he don't even get in the house and he like makes him rake some leaves, you know, like <laughs> discipline. Yeah. From yeah. The start. I think he says, he says, don't look at me crazy when I ask you to do something, boy. Like right off the bat. It's like, oh, yeah, there he is. I mean, look, maybe not. I wouldn't go as far as that. But my dad was more. Lawrence Fishburne in that movie than not. <laughs> so that shit hit home. He's, again, he's such a cool character. I, something I say a lot on the podcast is that we believe in our moment that we're the ones always pushing things forward and pushing a new, a new message, right? But it turns out when you watch these movies, the, people have had the same struggle for hundreds upon hundreds of years. Same. So many of the things he was saying were points that uh, the Black Lives Matter movement... And then everyone was pushing on Facebook and Instagram. So many things that he literally said in this movie. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying he invented it, obviously, Lawrence Fishburne or John Singleton. But I was, I was like, oh, shit. You know, like, support black businesses. Dude, when he goes, when they go to Compton and he just holds yeah. court. <laughs> Why y'all take a look at that sign up there? See what it says? Cash for your home? You know what that is? What are y'all, Amos and Andy? You step in and he's fetches? I'm talking about the message, what it stands for. It's called gentrification. It's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. Huh? You listening? Yeah. To bring the property value down. 
they can buy the land at a lower price. Then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. Now, what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything black. Black owned with black money. Just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans, and the Koreans do. Ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folk shooting each other and selling that crack rock and shit. Well, how you think the crack rock gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. But we are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I know every time you turn on the TV, that's what you see, black people selling the rock, pushing the rock, pushing the rock. Yeah, I know. But that wasn't a problem as long as it was here. Wasn't a problem until it was in Iowa and it showed up on Wall Street where there are hardly any black people. If you want to talk about uh, guns, why is it that there's a gun shop on almost every corner in this community? Why? Tell you why. For the same reason that there's a liquor store on almost every corner in the black community. Why? They want us to kill ourselves. You go out to Beverly Hills, you don't see that shit. But they want us to kill ourselves. Yeah, the best way you can destroy a people, you take away their ability to reproduce themselves. Who is it that's dying out here on these streets every night? Y'all. Young brothers like yourselves. What am I supposed to do? Fool roll up, try to smoke me? Shoot the motherfucker if he don't kill me first. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. You have to think, young brother, about your future. Huh? And 13 people from the neighborhood just, like, walk across the street. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That could be a lecture, though, today that people are still doing. Oh, 100%. Which is, that was so fascinating to me. That Compton scene, though, is... I don't, when I say hilarious, I'm not mocking it, but in terms it of like... It was hilarious. Okay. It was hilarious. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Like the grandpa saying, like, oh, but it's these kids doing it, you know? <laughs> he comes over with the cane, you're like, yo, what the hell is he doing hanging out out there? And anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. This is why I wish in so many movies, like, they always say, like, oh, I wish in Star Wars that I didn't know that Darth Vader was Luke's father so I could learn it for the first time because everyone you know, our age, knows that by birth without seeing a single Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. I wish I saw Boys in the Hood in 1991 being unexposed to this and seeing how I feel. I knew I was laughing at moments today that I probably should not have been laughing at or maybe someone in 1991 wasn't laughing at. Right. But I was because it was so... Man, stereotypical is bad, but like, I'd seen it before. And yeah. It, it was very preachy. But again, that doesn't... And I don't mean that as a criticism. What do they say? Like, imitation's the greatest form of flattery? Mm-hmm. This film has been imitated yeah. so many times that I think that that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Other people I just wanted to mention quickly in the cast before we talk scenes and our favorite moments. Morris Chestnut plays Ricky. Ricky Baker, one of my favorite characters. (laughs) Yeah, oh God. And I didn't realize, like, I knew the name, and I've seen Morris Chestnut, but I didn't realize this was, like, the same guy, to be honest with you, because he's, like, bald now. Uh Uh-huh. I was like, oh, shit, like, (laughs) good-looking dude. Uh, Nia Long, Brandy, Mm -hmm. she's great in this, too. But you know who I really love? Regina King. Oh, what a long way she's come, huh? Right? She won an Oscar two years ago. I love her in a lot of things. She's great. Oh, man, it's so funny. So Regina King... And Doughboy and Ricky's mom, I forgot her name. They have been like staples in black films, both high level and shit that no one should ever see. <laughs> Just like this was the, the, the first of so many. Nia Long, 
I feel like she's been that, you know, the cute girl across the street in like three or four of these. Oh, yeah. Which is so funny because ironically, fast forward and Cube winds up getting her in Friday. She's <laughs> basically the same girl. It's uh, true. <laughs> it was great. It was great. The homies, whatever the hell their names are, they were fantastic. Yeah. And and I think I think the thing that's so funny about the casting is like, I've met all of these people. Art imitates life. So so you've met like a doughboy. You've met like a. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what's funny? Their shirt would say their name on it. Like uh, there's a guy Dookie and he had a shirt that said Dookie on it. Uh huh. One of the guys named Monster. <laughs> oh oh, I actually <laughs> wanted to bring this guy up, Little Chris. He his hat said Little Chris. He's the one in the wheelchair. Yeah. His name is Reggie Green or Reg Green, and he was actually a paraplegic in real life. You could tell. Which, but that's I don't, not that, not. I was gonna say that's great. It's not great that he's paraplegic. Oh, but, but just as far as yeah. So many of these movies at the time, only like recently, did they say, "Oh, we need to if someone's disabled, we need to cast a disabled yeah. actor." And he actually uh, got that way because he was hit by a stray bullet when he was young, and that's the character's arc as well. And no shit. Great casting. I thought I had seen him in other things, but I really hadn't. I guess I just knew him from this movie. Yeah. But he was really good in that because I guess he lived it, you yeah, know? Yeah, and you remembered his face. Mm-hmm. I feel like you mm-hmm. remembered his face. I remembered his face and his arms, to mm-hmm. be quite frankly, forever. What did you think of this first, like, third of the movie? Honestly, this is the part that I forget the most in this yeah. film. Well, <laughs> this is going to sound so funny. I wish I could... Oh, I wish I could remember her name. Young Trey looks just like this older black woman. She's like a grown-ass woman. And I never forgot that. <laughs> the acting with the kids is great because, like, they're doing their, they're doing their damnedest. Mm-hmm. But the, there's, like, a... I don't even know. This is going to sound like an oxymoron. But there's this, like, easy stiffness to it, <laughs> which is just, like, I guess because it's nostalgic for me, like, super comforting, you know? Like, I always remember that. And I always remember, remember thinking, like, you know, I was probably like around the same age. Like, damn, like I'm not going through this shit. You know, <laughs> I want to see a dead body. You know what I mean? John Singleton was very influenced by Stand By Me. So, uh-huh. So he kind oh. of has talked about like writing this as the black Stand By Me. Mm. But ironically, I thought about this, like ironically in Stand By Me, the whole movie is about going to see this dead body. In this, it's like, want to see a dead body? Okay. Yeah. Five, five minutes later. Here it is. <laughs> like, shit. <laughs> that hits you hard. Yeah. The kid stuff is pretty preachy, but I get why they're doing it. It's cool to see that transition of them to adulthood. I think everyone remembers the, and I say adulthood, but they're teens. Everyone remembers the teenage parts more than they remember these kid parts. But, you know, just seeing, like, kids getting arrested here and, ha- and how bad it gets. Yeah. Like, you know what's what really stuck with me, actually? When they take Ricky's football. Yes. Because I remember being like the same age, always having a basketball or a football. And that was actually one of the more intense parts of the film for me <laughs> at the time. Like, I never forgot it. And it was crazy because I never forgot when the dude's like, hey, little man. And just the sense of like relief. When he like throws him the ball back. And then also the cringe when he drops the catch, when he throws it back yeah, to him. Yeah. yeah. And Doughboy's there to be like, he's like, man, you sorry when he like <laughs> the catch. But I just remember that scene being so intense back in the day. Just like, I whoa. can imagine, you know, you, you lose a ball as a kid, it, it's, it's the worst, right? Yeah. So imagine there when they're probably not going to get a football again. Yeah. You know, not again, but you know. 
that stuff's cool. The thing, the stuff in school, again, preachy but informative. It's like this white teacher. She's teaching about pilgrims and settlers and stuff like that. <laughs> Yo, Trey kills that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's great, and I think it is mirrored too at the end. And we'll get into like that ending quote, but when like Ice Cube is kind of talking about like the whole "Do they care about us?" quote mm. and history and uh, the idea of that. I didn't mention that this movie opens, and I'm curious your thoughts on it, with like, it says, one in 21 black American males will die of gun violence. Most of them, most by themselves. How do you feel overall about when they do that in films, when they kind of just put, literally, putting the message out front like that? I don't mind it. Nuance doesn't always work. You can't always rely on nuance in art, right? So like, especially at this time, I mean, everything from like, you know, the Reagan yes, bullet holes, yes. <laughs> like a lot of this shit is this guy's fault, by the way, <laughs> you know, but I don't mind it. I, I, I actually don't consider that. Yeah, I, I don't I wouldn't quite call it necessary, but I can see the hey, you get one shot here. Let's make sure we can, you know, woof, grab the attention mm-hmm. and make people think from the start. It's almost like context like i'm gonna shove context down your throat before we even get started you know on that note i'll tell you what it does do generally i'm not a fan of when directors do this and i do like nuance however it really sets the tone that like you're not going to get that here the message is going to be in your face here just deal with it it's a message that the director wants to tell right it's important to him the art form that he's trying to make is not a nuanced one. It is yeah. an in-your-face one. Tell you, this is what's going on. Deal with it. Yeah. And then again, when it's juxtaposed with a quote at the end, which you know I know we'll talk about more, but like when Doughboy just says he's watching the news and he's seeing all these foreign wars on yeah. there and people talking about it, and he doesn't understand because his neighborhood is like that. And he says, either they don't know, don't show, or don't care what's going on in the hood. And it kind of mirrors that at the beginning and then the classroom scene, the lessons that are being taught, what America, especially 1991 America, but even today largely, is focused on and what the director is trying to tell us is actually going on in his mind. Now, he's not perfect. You, you talked a lot, too, about like uh, gender roles in this as well. Do we expect a 23-year-old to be perfect? No. You, know, you don't expect a 50, 60, 70-year-old to be right. perfect. But I do like, again, looking back at it, and I guess my point is seeing that quote and realizing that he's right off the bat, like, yeah, we're doing this. this we're is, doing this. This is what we're about yeah. right now. Like, listen to what I'm going to tell you. Yeah. You're not supposed to see artistic butterflies in the background and say, oh, that means, you know, innocence or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's not what this movie is about. This movie is going to tell you what it's about and deal with it. And you know what? 1991 and they show you know the reagan bush thing and like you said the bullet holes but then put yourself back in that time period maybe this is what needed to be seen by people you know at least what that's what the director felt yeah yeah like there's almost no time for nuance yeah yeah there's no time for nuance given it was so crazy because what is the movie like an hour and 45 minutes something hour like 50 that? i think yeah i mean granted it's a classic but it just, like, it flew by. Because it's just like, bam, bam, yeah. bam. New message, new scene, new message, <laughs> new scene, new message, new scene. You know? It almost felt like, at times, and again, this isn't a criticism, it almost felt like, at times, the father character, like, telling us this. Because 
Was there any moment where he was wrong, the father? Oh no, never, <laughs> never. That's the beauty of the of the mythical black dad. <laughs> when he's around, if you are so lucky for him to be around, he's always right. He's like the magic eight ball. Anything else in like the first third of the movie that really stuck out to you with the kids? Aside from Trey's rat tail, which I had one of my own. <laughs> the rat tail, not just a black thing, not just a white thing, an everybody thing, unfortunately. An everybody thing, unfortunately. <laughs> they just got so much in there. Like, at one point, and I don't even know how deep we can go into this, there's a, um, a member of the Nation of Islam, that guy who's selling bean pies in mm. the pink box. Super subtle. Something I didn't even notice... I noticed for the first time. Wow. So right? there might be more nuance than I thought. Then. Well, it's not even a matter of nuance. It's just like, I am going to put all this black shit into this movie <laughs> that just happens on a regular basis. You know, I thought the, that the scene with the cops, that was such a major scene. It, it was crazy because I think he was trying to put his little, not even artistic, but kind of like make you think a little bit. Because instead of having two white cops roll up, mm-hmm. he threw a little threw a little twist in there with the uh, Uncle Tom-ish, not Uncle Tom-ish, the Uncle Tom <laughs> black cop. And the white cop was passive, and he was more chill, more cool. And there's no subtlety about what, what that black cop is saying. Yeah, He's like, I hate kids like you, essentially. No like, subtlety. And, <laughs> yeah. and the one thing that they do in the film a couple on a couple of occasions is show someone's kind of laissez-faire attitude toward what's going on through food. They do that in, in a lot of films, right? Um, it's like, how could someone eat at a time like this, right? Mm-hmm. So the way the cops would roll up late, and I think he's got like drink in one yeah, hand, yeah. and he's eating something in the other hand, you know? And it's just like, oh, this guy. <laughs> like, it, in case you don't know, like, you know, he doesn't give a shit before he even opens his mouth. Oh, they casted the hell out of him because I've hated that guy. My entire life. <laughs> it's something you hear in like gangster rap as well, like how black cops are worse than the white cops yeah. because like, you know, that's a betrayal. And that's not something again from gangster rap. That's something from as old as there's been black American art, there has been that subject matter as as you said, the Uncle Tom. Yeah. You know? And this guy again, he's not like a passive Uncle Tom. This guy does not give a fuck. He's just like, I don't like you. Essentially, if you took him aside, he's like, I joined the police force because I hate yeah. my people, essentially, <laughs> yeah. and I want to torment them. It's turned up to 11, I get it. Tur- but- and it's even turned up to 11. He's the blackest dude in the whole movie. Like, if you think about the movie, I'm thinking about it right now. He's definitely the darkest dude in the movie. You mean literally. Literally, yeah. he is the blackest man in the movie. So they were like, oh, we're going in with this. Yeah, it's insane. And you see him later in the film, you know, he kind of looks the same, but how much screen time does he have? A minute, two minutes tops, you know? Yeah. And that's a guy you always remember watching. Always remember. Again, (laughs) hitting you on the head with a hammer, but maybe we need to be hit on the head with a hammer. Yeah. Oh, one thing, one thing I actually, I wanted to mention from that earlier, uh, little, you know, with the kids, Lawrence Fishburne takes his son fishing. And he's talking about like being in the army as well and all that. And that comes back a little bit later, too. Yeah. I found that fascinating and interesting and pretty. Uh, that's a message that I think white people didn't realize, if that makes sense. Like, there are things in here that it's like, oh, I know the hood is bad. 
theoretically. Like, you don't have to tell me. That's a message there that I think was also important to tell. It really didn't have a lot of bearing on the story, except when uh, Ricky is thinking about joining the army later, you know? And, and, and Cuba Gooding Jr. kind of reiterates what his dad said earlier. But if you look at the arc of his father and think, like, this is a guy... He had a kid really young. I know he didn't have a kid at seven, you know, <laughs> like, but he had a kid really young. You know, it's funny. I can't believe I'm saying this, but like, don't be a menace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. He's like uh, his age, you know? Yeah. So I yeah. guess they're making fun of that, too. Yeah. Like, that movie is so smart. When you oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know what's, you know, what's interesting, though? I'm glad you brought that up. So two things about about that scene. One, I thought it was super interesting <laughs> and things being like heavy-handed is obviously going to be a theme, going to be a theme with a lot of this, but especially with this movie, how they they went hard with, like, the fishing hat. Like, who even knows where the hell they were fishing? But, like, the they, he was wearing, like, the fisherman's hat, right? Might have even had a vest on, maybe not that far. But also, the army backdrop almost set a, a, a different type of tone, for me anyway, with his owning a revolver and his having a pistol in the house. Interesting. It almost made it less, I don't want to say taboo, mm-hmm. but it was more acceptable that this person was a soldier in Vietnam, had experience with firearms, was probably licensed to hold a firearm. Yeah, I assumed he was because he just says to the cops, I shot you know, yeah. I shot at him with my yeah. And he was not afraid that the cops were going to be like, why do you have a yeah. So that's, that's, uh, yeah, that was an interesting little. For sure. And then the fact that this guy, again, he has this kid young. He thinks he needs to probably, that's probably why he didn't stay with the mother. You know, there might be other reasons, whatever. But he feels like he needs to provide for this kid and thinks of the army. Maybe he saw a commercial like uh, Ricky sees. And yeah, just, yeah. He gets delusioned like, you know, a lot of people do. Not everyone, obviously, but a lot of people do. You know, he comes back and he's very anti the army. He says the army's no place for a black person. And yeah. that's reiterated later. But you're right. He also, though, he might not want to admit it, but he does have a certain discipline that maybe it came from the army. I don't know if it did. We don't know. You know yeah. what I mean? But he does have a certain, uh, he might not like the U.S. army. I get that. But I think there, there's something both bad and good, like yeah. a lot of soldiers, that he's changed forever yeah. from this. And, he, and the gun thing is a really good example, too. He's a, he's anti-violence, right? But he has a gun for protection, and that's important to him. Yeah, protection like that. And you know, later when uh, you know Cuba Gooding's gonna tries to take the gun, and there's that whole emotional scene we'll get into. Like that's not what that's for. You brought up earlier in terms of uh, raking the leaves in the front of the house and stuff, and and he says to the kid, like, oh, what do you have to do when you're here? Like, you know, wash the tub, do all that. That's also very regimented and army-like yeah. as well. I don't know. He keeps his home. He keeps his his child. He keeps everything in a very structured way. A lot of it, though, comes from reading as well. He's a big reader. Mm-hmm. He reiterates the stuff he reads. So I don't know. I'm, I'm so fascinated with the character. He's a great character when you really delve into it. You know, he's doing his best, but he's obviously flawed. And he's young. Mm-hmm. He's like a homeowner, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or at least they portray it that way. And even when you get there, when when Trey gets there, like the tub, 
it ain't it's still like a single dude's you yeah, know yeah, for sure. <laughs> tub and like the laundry or the bathroom or whatever man I, I mean they just did they just packed so much into an hour and 45 minutes he might be know? the most complex character though in the entire film which yeah. is interesting yeah I don't know LA I never lived in LA it's very different from New York it's very different from the east coast I know like their neighborhoods are not supposed to be good neighborhoods but I would love to have a home you know like I'm saying in the city mm-hmm. it is very different to think like there are not too, like in New York City Manhattan, Bronx area, there's not too many neighborhoods that look like that, no. that are bad neighborhoods, you right, know what right, I mean, right, right. in this general area. So it is, like, interesting to see. But the mom apparently lives in Inglewood, a different part of L.A., and when she kind of just gives up her child, not like that, but just, they have a weekday weekend thing, and she flip-flops it, well, she'll take them on the weekends, and it's interesting. I mean, I guess my question is, what did you think of, like, the mom and dad's relationship with each other? Because... I found it fascinating because they both kind of seemed like somewhat present parents who really cared about the upbringing of their child. And they kind of uh, respected each other, especially for a mom to be like, you're living with your dad and you're going to learn things like that. She must respect him. And I see why. I mean, he's like a pretty cool guy. But I I thought it was cool because he was trying to strike a balance between how do I tell this story? That's a real story in the black community, right? Where like the kid is growing up with a single parent that's like primary. Both their parents don't live in the same place. It was almost like, okay, marriage, quote unquote, failed. Mm -hmm. We see that story. We hear that story a lot, especially in music, especially in hip hop. But that doesn't have to be synonymous with failed parenting. Yeah. And I think that was like one of the first times we had really seen that, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're either the Huxtables, (laughs) you know, or like you're uh, Doughboy and Ricky's situation where it's like the mom's like, your father ain't shit. You're just like your father's a guy who you never see. You don't even know what happened to him. Yeah. And like that's kind of a little. But that's no, that's the norm in in these type of films. So I thought it was cool mm-hmm. the way they balanced that relationship and showed it through a different prism. And especially when um you come back where she wants him to come back and live with her later in the film, and they have their they meet at the at the cafe. Yeah, so interesting, right? Yeah, and and like the way they check each other, and you're literally waiting. For him to spaz out. You're waiting for one of them mm-hmm. to do the stereotypical, oh, let's make this a scene. But he, I like the way he, like, obviously he's the filmmaker, so there's no bait to take. But there's a societal bait to take there as far as telling the story of those two parents. Mm-hmm. And he refused to take it. And I thought that that was a pretty powerful thing. It, it, their parenting is so interesting. I agree with you 100%, right? Like, do they argue? Yes, but they argue... For the sake of their child, it's nothing like that's doesn't feel selfish. Like yeah. he's not saying he has to stay with me because I want him, or she's not saying that either. They're just focused on their kid. That cafe scene really quickly is so interesting too because everyone's having like these full meals, but it's not made it like a joke or anything. Like what is, she orders an espresso and he orders a cafe au lait. Yeah, he know? comes right back. Right. <laughs> so there's something to that. Yeah, yeah. But you could also see, and this is why I think the parents have a lot. 
of depth where some of the other side characters don't have as much depth. And again, I don't know, some of them are one note, but it's not a criticism. But you could see why or how they got along at one point, right? They're not that far off from each other. Yeah. We're not seeing like polar opposite parents. Like, how yeah. did this happen? It's not, it's not like we see so many times in the film where, oh, you know, it seems like this person just knocked this person up and yeah. that's just what it is. And it's just like it was, I think, like in my mind, they were teenagers or, or maybe just young people and they went on dates and they actually really liked each other because they seem like they're on similar wavelengths, you know? It didn't work out in the end, but they're cut from a similar cloth. You know, it wasn't like uh, the Regina King character with the dad. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It wasn't like that. Right. <laughs> and it's so funny because um, there's this brilliance to her, like this emotional control where she goes on her little monologue about him raising Trey. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, just being like a good dad, but not being special. And she like slowly reels herself back in for the sake of what they're there for and they both decide to like oh this could have gone one way but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna bring it back in we're gonna reel it back in like she gives him his props they're probably the only characters in the entire film trey at the end but aside from like that moment they're they have the most restraint of any character is what i'm saying right like everyone when, when something pisses them off they go off on it. Yeah. When they're horny, they want to fuck. You know, just yeah. like it's yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. They're very uh, like visceral <clears throat> like that. But those two, it's such a juxtaposition. Like seeing them in that cafe and seeing them just like have this diplomatic dialogue. They're both like angry about things. They're they're not necessarily getting along. Clearly, they don't get along hundred percent because they be together. Right. But they're. They're just on a different wavelength than a lot of other people in the movie. And you mentioned, um, you know, Doughboy's mom, the way, like, she acts or whatever. She favors one of her sons so much because he's going to, uh, Ricky, you know, he's going to college and he's, and he does seem like somewhat of a stand-up guy. And her other son went to jail, for God's sake. Which I, when I had seen this movie, I thought he went to prison that time when he got arrested for robbing things. And he didn't get out until that barbecue scene i thought that when i was younger and then also when i watched it as an adult i'm like they mentioned that it's not he's, the case he'd been in and out yeah yeah, in and out, yeah. yeah. so let's get to it because i do want to talk about i do want to talk about this the barbecue like once they get into the best now scene. time the yes, barbecue the scene best. i love that and we see this in a lot of other black movies like the barbecue and just honestly music videos of the era and stuff like that oh man <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if you ain't got the barbecue, you ain't got shit. <laughs> that uh, the food looked good, but I love that it was almost. I don't want to say there's no shame in him going to prison because the mother is upset clearly, but it's a welcome home thing. They haven't seen him in a while, and he's playing like dominoes with his friends. I mean, uh, you know, Ice Cube's character here, and that's when we see our guy Trey in the fun shirt. Uh. <laughs> he's playing hard to get. What were your thoughts on this scene? Because this is the scene I would probably remember most from the entire film. I honestly don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin. I mean, whatever, whatever he summoned, whatever character he channeled in his like mannerisms and his. You know, the way he would droop his head, but like, look up. <laughs> oh my goodness. He was just, 
I, it was, it was just classic. It wound up becoming classic. The outfit, classic. The way he danced his way in there. Yeah. And must have realized once he was dancing for a little while, like, oh, this ain't. I need to stop doing this because <laughs> this shit doesn't even feel right the way I look right now. It was great. It was one of the greatest transitions in a movie. <laughs> Just it really like, is. They came really in is. so hard. They came in so hard. I'll tell you what was, I'll tell you what. I always remembered. And it it was just as what the fuck as it was the first time I saw it. When Ricky kisses his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it's just like straight up, like hardcore tongue. And it just like, I don't know, it's kind of like a tasteless, but also like shows how young they are and like exactly. the baby's image. You know, it's just like, oh, this is so real. So a lot of people forget that this is a teen movie because there's such adult themes. Intensity, yeah. One of the characters has a kid, for God's sake. But that's what you're talking about. That kiss is a good reminder that these are just teenagers. Yeah. Because he dresses, Ricky dresses like a stand-up guy, right? He... You know, he has the child, the his girlfriend or whoever. I don't think they're married, right? But his girlfriend, yeah. whoever. She's like kind of playing the wife role, even though she's just a kid too. But you see that scene, you're like, fuck, they're just, they're just kids. Yeah. They're just kids. What adult have you seen make out like that? Like realistically. Oh, God. Not on a, any kind of substance, you know? <laughs> if you saw that at a party, you'd be like, what the <laughs> What are they Exactly. On? And that's something you get that, some I, of that I think John Singleton does so well is that at times you know these are adult problems killing each other that shouldn't be anybody's problems you know what i mean but on the other hand these are just kids the movements you're talking that cuba gooding jr is doing that's an insecure maybe it's an insecure yeah but it's also an insecure teenager no yeah 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 (laughs) and ricky as well ricky and his girlfriend again and he He's too young to probably be a parent, you know? That's tough to do at that time, especially when you got to take your SATs, you're trying to get into college. <laughs> but at the same time, he's, like, trying to be an adult, but he can't because who could be an adult yeah. at 17? Yeah. Really. Even yeah. if you're forced to grow up because of your environment, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, just on the Ricky character quickly, and just the mom. I, again, love how she favors him so much more than her other son. Uh, it's mentioned, like, in a throwaway line that they're, they have different fathers, Right, it is mentioned in the throwaway line. That's right. I I never even noticed that until until I watched it. Yeah, this, on this watch, I realized that, and I don't know what happened in the past, but she clearly, again, she, she I, I get it too. Like in her from her perspective, he's the one with a chance to go to college, and that's the thing I was mentioning before. That is a trope that we've talked about in terms of just like the black athlete. Like this is his way out. Yeah. The scene quickly. I know we're jumping around, but the scene quickly where the recruiter from USC comes. That's one of my favorite scenes watching now again. Because he just rolls up. He doesn't even know the address because he's heard that there's this prospect here. Um, I forgot which. One of them goes to Crenshaw High School. One of them goes to one of them goes to another high school in the area. And he basically said, hey, does Ricky blah, blah, blah live yeah. here? And, and one of the guys is like, yeah. And then when he walks up, one of his friends is like, oh, could you recruit me? I yeah. play baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the mom, him, you know, getting primmed up, the mom getting primmed up, like this is a respectable home, despite all like the the degenerate guys on the fucking porch, (laughs) she's trying her best. But I love it because that's what a mom would do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She really sees him as as her way out, but his way out and everyone's way out. There are some details in that house that are just so 
so legit. Like, the plastic on the couch, <laughs> legit. My grandmother had it. Like, legit. I had aunts, I think, great aunts that had it as well. I never understood it even as a kid. I'm like, this is so uncomfortable. Yeah, so crazy. Why so you crazy. Why your freaking couch? So like crazy. An antique piece? Anyway. And then the color of the room, and then if you look behind the couch, just the marks on the wall. Mm. Like, all the shit on the wall for just people's heads being back <laughs> and the couch being up against it. I was like, oh man, this is a real ass crib right here. <laughs> And that's the house where everyone hangs out, yeah. right? Like, despite, like, maybe because there's no father there, I'm not sure. Maybe because she has two kids and not one. I don't know. She puts up with it, but she also hates them at the same time. Yeah. I love it. She she likes Trey because Trey... Everyone likes Trey's dad, by the way. Everyone's like, oh, what's your dad up to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but when this recruiter comes in, he's talking to him about taking the SATs. And, and he's like, oh, is this, your, uh, is this your little brother? He's like, no, it's my son. And you could tell the recruiter, even though he's surprised, he's seen that before. Yeah. And let's dive a little bit deeper. I know you, you know, you were an athlete in high school, and I, I love sports. But you know that USC, the white head coach, sent the black, like they hired the black assistant coach to go into these neighborhoods. Yeah. And recruit these guys. Oh yeah. It's fascinating to me. Oh fascinating. yeah. Fascinating. Still happening. <laughs> Still happening. The same way, <laughs> only the coach is using Waze and Google Maps to get to the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, nothing has changed. That's crazy. Nothing has changed. I mean, I, they might be sending someone in there to go pick the kid up now, but doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, if we're going to talk about today, probably a lot of like with basketball, more like AAUs involved and they're like, let's get, you know. Let's get this kid in a program that we yeah. trust rather than just them playing high school ball like that. Uh, and then he says, a little throwaway line too. That, do you know Do you know where he's positioned? Do they mention that? He's a running back. Okay, because he had 226 yards in a game. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, he's a running back. I don't know who they show. They show a little clip. Mm -hmm. He sits down, he puts the VHS in, yeah. and they start like watching the video. Whoever the hell they're showing is killing it. <laughs> it's true. Killing it. It was funny because it was also like when the kid comes out, it was like, I think they might have showed, I could be wrong, they might have showed the clip of him playing before the kid comes out. I think so. And when you see the clip of him running, I remember registering like, you know, like, oh, they don't care that he's got a kid. Look no. at that boy run. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, it was almost sure. like a reiteration. For sure. You know? For sure. Because Morris Chestnut, like, he looks strapping and yeah. tall and healthy and fit whatever but it was like oh no we got to see this <laughs> just in case you didn't know he's exactly what you know the assistant coach wants there he like the he's i you could tell he's a little bit afraid rolling up that he's going to be someone who is a little bit more i don't know like gangster for lack of a better word you know mm -hmm. like who's then this guy but and they know it too, and that's why again I love the mother's presentation. I love his presentation. That just they're getting ready and stuff, you know. Like, oh, God, I love it. She's got the good glasses <laughs> and the lemonade. <laughs> oh my goodness! But you're right. In actuality, that assistant coach probably only cares about his talent. You that's know? it. And, if, and oh yeah, if he can get to, to school, unfortunately, he doesn't. But so I guess the other thing to mention is really like the whole incident that causes our big ending. Um, 
this is not just like a black high school thing. This is just like a, a high school thing. We've seen a lot of movies, just cru- especially California, cruising with your car. You know, that's, we've seen that since American Graffiti on this mm-hmm. podcast. I guess we should just mention quickly that the SAT, you know, uh, what's his name? Needs us at least 700 on the SATs. Yeah. Ricky, Trey, Trey's taking the SATs as well. A couple other people, characters are taking the SATs at the same time. And Trey, you know, after the SATs, they're just, you know, that's when they go to the Compton thing and, uh, with the dad. But then later, that you know, after you're doing something like that, you want to burn off some steam, right? They end up at wherever it was, just some road where all the cars, and that's when... By the way, side note, I, I guess I never realized till I read the background. Like, they're supposed to be affiliated with Crips, like our heroes here, if uh-huh. you will. Because if you notice, most of them are wearing blue. <clears throat> he was subtly trying to put that in the movie, and the bad guys are have a red car. And I noticed like that. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that, I mean, the, the, the bloods were obvious. You can't really tell the studio... For example, the studio didn't even know that Ice Cube was in the NWA, apparently. Like, once they found out, I was like, what? And then they were okay with it because the movie was good. But you can't tell you can't tell the studio, hey, listen, I'm siding with one gang here or another gang. Yeah. Uh, they, they mentioned Crenshaw Mafia and things like that. But, yeah, you're right. The Bloods are very obviously Bloods. But apparently the, uh, a lot of people have said that the good guys, if you will, at least are affiliated with Crips because, like we said, they're mostly wearing blue... Uh, blood crypt thing um who knows whatever but when they're on this avenue thing those gang guys the blood guys just whatever like they they bang the car into them and they just it's funny that like a little bit of beef starts this entire (laughs) war yeah um one of the most fascinating things to me and i didn't even remember this it's ricky who goes after them and starts saying shit right it's not Doughboy. It's not his friends or anything. It's Ricky, who's supposed to be like the model citizen, just took his SATs, and he gets into the fight with this guy, and basically that starts a whole back and forth thing. That the classic, probably classic one, is the classic movie drive-bys. You know. Yeah. Hey man, what's wrong with you? Fuck you looking at, nigga? I'm still trying to find out, nigga. Hold on, hold on. Oh, we got a problem here? We got a problem here? We got a problem, nigga? Oh, what up with this? Going away, nigga. Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, nobody gets shot? Shut up, bitch. Bitch, I'm fuck you. You call a bitch. Let's kick that bitch ass. Why you like that? Ferris always trying to start some shit. Nigga can't fight, so he always trying to find some excuse to shoot somebody. That's why food be getting shot all the time. Trying to show how hard they is. Ignorant. Oh, fool, shut up. You be doing that shit, too. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, what did you think of uh, this whole thing? Oh, Ice Cube's car, you know, like the the lowrider. Ice Cube's car said so much. This is another thing. There, There were so many layers. So, like, 
Ice Cube had one of the sickest low riders on the block. One thing that was definitely noticeable was if you were going to get into like gang culture, it was uh, gold, mm -hmm. right? Which is kind of like neutral. Mm -hmm. Kept it parked outside his hood ass crib with the top down. <laughs> Nobody messed with it. That's a good point. Which showed like just how about it he was. This was something that I remembered even at an early age. Wow. Like, oh, this dude is the real deal. Because, like, no one's fucking with his car. He wasn't, like, pulling it all the way in the back of the driveway. There are scenes where you see him, like, come out in the morning, and that thing is just sitting in the street with the top down, yeah. untouched, yeah. you know? I think call. he even makes a comment. He's like, man, I ain't been up this early in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like, oh, his shit stayed out there all night, and they knew not to fuck with mm -hmm. it. And just the way he holds down the porch, that was interesting. And then just the the... I don't even want to say duality, but like one of the things that's so prevalent in black culture, especially hip hop culture, is all of the different psyches of the individual. Interesting. Where it's like one part mama's boy, one part soldier, mm. right? Ready for war yeah. at any time. One part historian you know conscious of our, our people and where we came from and one part just complete especially when you're young but not even younger because we only got you know conscious um but one part completely just chauvinistic bitches and hoes mm -hmm. and you know pimping and and all of these things wrapped into one right and this this is like you know five different dimensions that show up in almost every character in black music, especially in hip hop, even in R&B when you hear guys sing. So it was interesting that with Ricky, they showed a couple of those dimensions. That's a good call. You know, like when he's in the call, when he's in the car with Trey. This is such a great scene also, by the way. This is actually my favorite Morris Chestnut scene in a film ever. Wow. It's when Trey, they're talking about set, what, how he's a virgin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Trey says it's great he, that he didn't have sex because he was scared. And Ricky starts laughing. And then like his laugh calms down. And then he busts out and starts laughing again <laughs> at the same shit. And, you know, there's this sense of like, he's, he's like, don't forget, this dude's an alpha male. That's why he's being recruited to USC. Yeah. You know, so like when there's a little shoulder bump. That's a good call. <laughs> and it, it escalates. He's like, what's wrong with you, man? You know, you just bumped me. And the guy says something. And he's like, what the fuck are you looking at? You know? And he's like, I'm still trying to figure it out. So there was, there was no back down. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's an interesting scene because we have this um, quote or a line, which I know you probably heard a ton, but we say it a lot. How we can go zero to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And it just shows how she can go zero to 100 real quick. Right now we're chill. One thing happens and boom. Next thing you know, it pops off. For sure. Uh, I think it's something that... I, th I think it's a very teenage thing. I think it's a... Even though he's a father, but it's a, it's a thing that a lot of teenagers have. Adults too, but... This is different though in terms of... If two people are fighting, it's not a fist fight in the back of the school. People are shooting each other with guns. Yeah. And that's what like is a little bit scarier. 
But I love the way you, uh, you know, frame that because it's something I think you've mentioned off air to me as well. Like a hip hop album is similar to that where you're moving between these spaces, but it's just, they say the duality of man, but there's so many more levels than just yeah. two two levels like that. Yeah, I think Ricky is a great example of that. We see it at the end with Trey, and that's understandable. You know, you, you see that happen to your friend. It's gonna, you know, you're going to get kind of emotional. But we see that with a, a lot of characters here just moving. There's some characters who are more, much more emotional than other characters, but even uh, Doughboy, right? Like, Doughboy... He he still has like some honor to him. He's not just like a complete oh, yeah. like let me just shoot people and kill people, right? Like yeah, not like that. So I like that. I like that a lot. And in terms of like you said, this scene where they're just things escalate. That's why they're going after Ricky, right? Like it's not because he's the one who didn't back down, and he is our classic tragic hero. Yeah, because it's like oh, all you had to do was just probably be quiet for another six months you'd be at usc who knows maybe on your way to the nfl maybe not but at the very least you'd be in college right so but of course you you know we know what ends up happening to ricky and it's i'll tell you what tragic that shit never gets easier (laughs) never gets easier to watch it's probably the most iconic moment of the film there's a little bit of a back and forth between again the guys in the red car and them they're just seeing them and then uh, that moment where they're just, they're afraid, but they're not that, because they don't, Ricky says something along the lines of, right, like, oh, they're, they're just trying to scare us, and, and he's like, I gotta pee, he says something. Yeah. He's a funny guy. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, let's separate. Okay, and fuck. The Ricky getting shot, like, slow motion thing is like, whoa, like, every time. That's like that's great filmmaking. Yeah. It really is. And what's what's interesting is, so there's probably, what, like 15 minutes left in the film mm-hmm. or something when that happens? So you go through that whole movie where there's this cloak of violence that you don't really see. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see it at all. People have always said, oh, Boys in the Hood, such a violent movie. But you're right. It's not like... There's some other movies like this where you, people are getting shot left and right. Yeah. That's not this movie. No, which is why it hits you so hard. Mm-hmm. You know, John Singleton, a weird trick that he did is that he had gunshots go off at random times in the background and he wouldn't tell the actors because he just wanted their natural reaction or lack of reaction to them. So if you watch the movie, you'll hear that there's like gunshots occasionally going off in the background, stuff like that. And the actors are trying to like no sell it. But they're just being natural with it because they're trying to go through their lines. And he thought that would be, again, more natural what you do. In the hood, he thought if you wrote, like, gun fired in the background that the character might react yeah. to it and say, you know. That's so crazy. That. <laughs> I did not know that. I'm thinking right away of the scene where Nia Long is doing her homework. Mm-hmm. I think it was the same day they had the SATs and, like, someone shoots in the in the background, like, while she's yeah. sitting there. <laughs> and she's, like, she jumps, but then she has this look of, like, ah. Oh, like this shit again on her <laughs> yeah, face. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. And again, uh, you know, Ricky's death though, oof, so tragic, so intense. And look, if I were to watch this right now for the first time, I think he would be the character that I would think would die because sure. it's setting up for it. Every time I watch it, I'm like, oh shit. Because when he dies, you see so, and rightly or wrongly, 
you see so many dreams die along with him. Yeah. His own dream. Yeah. His girlfriend. The kid. <laughs> the mom. There's no way USC is like, well, our prospect died. Let's let's you know pay for you know, right. their life for. And then just like by default, you see Doughboy, which is just like once Doughboy gets blamed, <laughs> it's just like fuck, man. It's like crazy. he didn't even do anything. Like Doughboy was like. But that's such a mom thing. Like when he goes back and they bring the body back, and the mom's just yeah. like, like, what did you do? This is your fault. You oh know? man. Oh, that, that's such a tragic scene. And he's like, get the kid out of here. I don't want the kid to see this. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's he's got as much heart and soul as someone who's been hardened to that life can have, you know? If we had a 10-year-old kid walk in here, we would say, do you know how Ice Cube is? They'd be like, yeah, the actor, you know? But that wasn't the case at the time. Yeah. Or for most people, at least C fifty fifty at the very least, maybe musician. But him with zero acting experience coming in here, he's one of the best actors in the movie. For sure. That's why they say sometimes an artist is an artist, no matter what it is. Yeah. Ice Cube is someone who wrote most of the NWA's lyrics. He's very, you know, artistic. He's very. He's from this world, so he's writing about this world in his music. So it probably wasn't that far from him. But he's been able to. Not. I'm not saying he's like. You know, winning Academy Awards, something like that. But he's just a natural at this. So, oh yeah, when you see him, and when you see him, just like in that room, try and take the kid away, or just reacting, and it's just insane. And you, when he brought up the whole uh, multiple personalities that we all have, when you think about that with him, in the same like, he's talking philosophy and the books he read in prison and religion and belief, and in the same sentence that he could you know keep saying ho and bitch and all that kind of stuff and that's exactly it and in this moment he is playing it like he's a brother he's a brother who cares he knows he has to avenge his brother's death how old is that that's shakespearean old that's bible old yeah you know yet he's calm because he almost takes on this role like that he's got to be the man of the family now and yeah it doesn't last long unfortunately but He's got to do what he has to do. If he has to take the baby away, sure. If he has to, you know, handle the situation, sure. I love seeing that. And again, from like a first-time actor who's not doing this at all, it's great to see. It's yeah. Cool. Yeah. The way the movie goes after this is some almost, again, memorable stuff to me in terms of just like revenge. And I get it. If you saw that happen to your friend and you would do that, you would feel that way. If you had the means to, you would feel that way. And when uh, Trey is just like looking for his dad's gun and his dad kind of stops him and and you kind of think it might end there, but he still goes out with them anyway. It's just that classic scene. I'll, I'll always remember it. Just like, you know, let me, like, what is it? Like, let me get out of the car. It's like... Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Which is... It's crazy because I remember being so like, oh yeah. shit, when the windows open. Yeah. You know, and you see him jump in the car. And it's like, oh man, this ain't gonna end mm-hmm. well. And so many of these movies end tragically. And I know there's tragedy here with Ricky, but he makes the right call and he leaves the car. Yeah. I love Doughboy's reaction because first he kind of doesn't let him out, but then he just pulls over and he does. He could is- easily been like, that's your friend. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're coming with us. I don't care. But he thinks to himself, you know, if he wants to go, he wants to go. You know, maybe he's not right for this. Maybe he's not ready for this. Yeah. It's really in the last 
this last part of the movie, I feel like, that you see more about, or those different sections mm -hmm. of Doughboy. Because I remember watching it this time around, he lets him out, but he doesn't even look at him. Mm -hmm. He just has his hand on the wheel, he looks straight ahead. And it's kind of ambiguous, like what he's thinking at the time, you know? Because clearly he thinks enough to, uh, he respects him enough to let him go, yeah. you know? And he is not, like I said, like forcing him to stay there. But yeah. you're right, he doesn't look at he's not like, all right, I get it, man. Yeah. I'll get home safe. Yeah. You know, or he doesn't even question his own reality there. And he's not like, well, if Trey, if Trey's gone, I better, like, you know, yeah. maybe I should it's go. It's just like, that, <laughs> that child soldier, you know, like, got to move on. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, they they have their own, like, drive-by moment. I laughed a lot this time at, like, the other guys, like, when they're at, they're just, like, talking, you know, talking at the fast food place or whatever. Yeah. Just, the, the guy with the Chicago Bulls hat. And I liked it, though, because you showed, like, they weren't, like, the cop, the black cop, he's, like, an asshole, and he doesn't have any, he's just, like, a evil mustache guy you know like ha, ha ha i hate everything but those guys they're just kind of kids too you know again yeah he's through so many different vantage points on this movie i'll tell you what speaking of vantage point i remember thinking even at a young age these three guys had the worst fucking escape route <laughs> ever <laughs> like when you look at where they got gunned down their car wasn't in the parking lot that they were running toward and they just like ran out into the open yeah. parking lot. I remember even at a young age thinking like, yeah, what are you doing? Like go to run toward the restaurant, duck behind something. Yeah, <laughs> that's really right. that's a good point. <laughs> and the movie kind of ends a little bit after that because there's the moment where his father's like with his girlfriend. Uh, sorry, um, Trey's father's with his girlfriend and just like, Basically, his dad's like, I don't know what he's going to do at this point. I hope I taught him well. I kind of, you know, think I've taught him enough to, that he won't do this, and we'll see where it takes us kind of thing. And when he comes back, it's kind of a, you know, rewarding. But the I always remember, again, where we mentioned the line where um, Ice Cube is like, when he's just walking towards him, Doughboy, and he just, they have a little moment like, hey, what's up, what's up kind of thing, and... That's when they, he says his line about, I'll say it again, uh, either they don't know, they don't show, or they don't care what's going on in the hood. And that's like, bam, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, this is the message of, <clears throat> of all messages, this is the message yeah. right here. Yo, cuz. I, I know why you got the call last night. It shouldn't have been there in the first place. You don't want that shit to come back to haunt you. Been up this early in a long time. Turned on the TV this morning. Had this shit on about about living in a violent, a violent world. Showed all these foreign places. Foreigners living on. started thinking, man. Either they don't know, don't show, 
I don't care about what's going on in the hood. They had all this foreign shit. They ain't have shit on my brother, man. Got no brother. And they have just that weird, not weird, but that crazy epilogue where the writing comes on the screen again from the beginning, and it's like, oh, uh, he, um, Doughboy attended his brother's funeral and then died two weeks two later. Two weeks like, later. Shit. Yeah. I thought about the mom. I thought about, it, like, damn. But it's just an escalation of this war. Yeah. But this largely kind of has a happy ending where. I mean, uh, Trey gets out. His yeah. girl gets out. They go to, uh, what is it? Morehouse. Morehouse. I know Trey goes to Morehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spelling, yeah. respectively. You know, Atlanta. Uh, they're out of L.A. That was the whole goal. Those are good colleges. They probably have a future behind them. You know? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's what the hood is, right? It's just this, just this living, breathing juxtaposed you know beautifully tragic place you know yeah and the goal is just like from again from the movies get out get out get out get out anywhere you can get out it's a it's an interesting ending and (laughs) just to hit hit his message home even more even though it's he's hit at home so much you see the boys in the hood logo go up and what does it say something about increase the peace is there in (laughs) it Ah, 90s. Yeah. That's that's the 90s for you. Very 90s, very 90s. Anything else you wanted to mention in regards to Boys in the Hood, the ending, or anything we missed? Not really. It's just it's just so classic. And even sitting here talking to it about you, talking talking about it with you, it's the layers. I've I've become so used to living and operating within all of these layers that I'm excited to continue Mm -hmm. to dig into these layers. Because it's almost like I've never done this before. This is something that I've seen a million times before, referenced a million times before, but this is a journey that I've never embarked on with this sort of uh, uh, analysis. So... I feel like as, as, as time goes on and, and we continue on, like it'll be really interesting because I'm still a little blown away at how at how layered it the this film was. Boys in the Hood is going to be the primer, really, for a lot of stuff we're going to do. I guarantee we're going to talk about things. We'll be like, oh, this reminds me of Boys in the Hood yeah, yeah, yeah. so much. This is yeah. why this was, really was... A great starting point. We had a couple potential starting points, and I think you know we could have gone a couple different ways. But this is a very, very, very good one here. Then we're going to talk about some things that are defining characters of black teen films and just defining characters of teen films. I purposely didn't talk about this while we were discussing it because this is something that happens, or we've seen a lot of teen films. One thing that teen filmmakers are obsessed with, because I think teenagers are obsessed with, is losing your virginity, and that's yeah. something we see here. Yeah. Trey is just like the not lies he tells, but the game he's going just to do like oh we're gonna get married all that you know yeah why not do it and uh, his girlfriend's Catholic so she doesn't want to she wants to see there's a future and maybe women aren't depicted the best in some cases in this film but there's an argument that for 1991 
they kind of are depicted pretty good. We already said the mom is like pretty a pretty strong character. Yeah, that's a great point. Brandy, they didn't really say her name a lot, but uh, Nia Long's character, she says no. She doesn't. They eventually do have sex, but it's not because like he's forcing her into it like yeah. that. Like they have a nice little moment. It's a very like you know sexual. Like yeah. sensual, sensual scene, yeah, <laughs> sensual and consensual. And in the end of the day, they end up going to college together. We don't know what happens yeah. there, but it's not like he says "fuck you" after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or gets her pregnant or anything like that. But oh, we don't know. But um, at the same time, she one she has a lot of agency by saying no all these times. She has a future. She wants to get out of there as well. She college bound. I think she's actually a really strong character. I think she's yeah. a great character. She may be a character I'd like to see a little bit more of. I don't know. But there are some strong women here. And even Doughboy's mom, I know she's not the perfect, perfect. No, but she's ho- she holds it together. 100%. She's, she's, he- she's holding it together. She's holding them together. And she was able to produce, pro- I mean, produce both of them keep them alive right (laughs) and there's a sense too that if they were in a different environment that not just ricky but doughboy probably would be somewhat successful right like they're both natural leaders yeah yeah yeah. again environment is impactful we know the athletic skill that uh that uh ricky has but when she opens the sat score and it shows that he passed and he can get into usc like that it's like I never remembered that to be honest. With you. I thought he ne- he didn't get in or anything like that because he's talking oh, about going to the army. Yeah, yeah. That's why I always thought. He That's was- what I meant though. He just was sneaking in so much shit. Hundred percent through in so much. You know when they mention just another high school thing when his dad mentions like a lot of the SATs or a lot of those standardized tests are uh, you know skewed against. Well, they're skewed very pro white because of the way they're written. I believe. To me, he's teasing that this that Ricky's not going to pass, mm-hmm. but he does. Yeah, and you're like, oh fuck, and that like, it's like if you're already hurting for what's happening, it's like, boom. Yeah, this guy, oh, it's perfect. I had it all, and it's perfect. It's perfect. But just taking the SATs, uh, them wearing the varsity jackets around, uh, I love that too. Very high school, universal high school movie things that I like to see, and also, like I said, the, the losing the virginity thing. But I don't think we can do it today because this is the first movie we're going to cover. But I really want to, as we do this project, look at what are the things that black teen movies have in common? What is the black teen experience? How does that differ than what we see in the quote-unquote white movies or the mainstream movies? We'll see. Again, this is movie one, so it's really hard to say. But Uh that's why I think Boys in the Hood, again, a great starting point. Because I think we'll go back here and remember... And be For like, sure. remember Boys in the Hood? And, you know, and yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I can't wait to dissect that. I think these episodes differ a little bit than my regular episodes because I think some of the questions don't really make sense. We can go through them, but I want you to think, and I'll think too, like what questions should we have specific for our for our platform here. I've been given out an award called Most Likely to Succeed. Like who won the film at the end of the day? Who comes out on top? I guess it's applicable here. Who do you? Th- what character do you think comes out most on top in this film? Is it obvious? Is it Trey? I think it's Trey's parents. Honestly, that's who I had written down, right? Yeah, I, I had Trey's dad written Trey's down, but dad. his mom too as well because they Trey's dad. When you look at this movie from the parents' <laughs> perspective, it's like get a kid out of the hood. Yeah, that's the goal. Do everything to get a kid out of the hood. 
And they get a kid out of the hood. Yeah, and Trey's, I think, if you have to give it, the edge goes to Trey's dad. Because he raised, he quote-unquote, raised him through those pivotal years, you know. There's even a point where, and this is going to sound, this is me, like, taking gender sides. (laughs) There's a point where they're sitting at the table, and he says, I know you want him back, but he's a grown man now. You missed that. Like, you missed those years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, you know, like a little, I did this shit. And she checks him, but I'd say the parents get the W, but Trey's dad gets the... For sure. Like, yeah, they award here. Yeah. Most likely to succeed. Again, who won the movie? We know, we know it's Trey, but we got to give it to Trey's dad. Right. right? Because he has one son, as he says. He just shepherds him through this world and there's a moment where you see early on when she's a kid where you see Brandy's mom and she's like don't look at those Mm -hmm. you know uh, whatever she calls them so like you said shout out to all the parents but specifically again uh, Trey's dad here so bravo (laughs) you win this award Wooderson award I think we could do too that's an award for a character who you would have liked to see more of now, I said it was Brandy, but is there anyone you think that you would like to have seen more of a little bit? You know, what's her name? Brandy? She's good. It's so tough to say. It's, that one's really tough to say. Because I want to say Doughboy and Ricky's mom. But I think that's just like... I've always been a fan of that character, that quintessential character, because usually, like, they're wise, but funny. Like, they just always, like, remind me of my aunt, you know? <laughs> you know? In a meaning, in meaningful fashion, I'd have to agree with you, Brandy. Brandy? Yeah. That's yeah. apparently what her name yeah. is. Again, they don't say her name a lot, but... Yeah. Um, just want to shout out, uh, Taya Farrell is the character, uh, sorry, is Brenda... The mom, yeah. like that's the actress, and she's so good in this. We know Neil Long's good too, so maybe overall, I think the theme is like I think if this is made today, we see a little bit more from the women. You know, yeah, they're not just side characters because they have interesting arcs as well. Yeah, so interesting. I would like to see more from Ricky's baby baby mama, right? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. She, <laughs> and when you think about that, like she has a child. I'm not reducing her to this, but she has a child with someone who has a huge future, right? she sees that dead body and her life must flash before her eyes. Like, what am I going to do? You know? Her her character was so funny because in a way, they almost like made you not really be able to see her. Like, her bangs were like over her. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Call. It's a good call. Yeah. Ah, uh, man. That's real though. <laughs> so this is interesting. We might, I want, I want you to think about this. We need to, I think we need to rename this award for the series we're doing here on the Black Teen Experience. So normally we call it the Long Duck Dong Award because in 16 Candles they had a very racist character, Long Duck Dong, and just did... It's a character you want to delete from the film when you watch now because it's so cringeworthy. But I feel like that could be applicable in these films, but we need to just... We need to find our Long Duck Dong, whatever. Was there a character, though, in Boys in the Hood that you're like, maybe that went too far? I don't know. But I, I don't know if you're with me with this. I think we're going to see this in later films. I don't know if it's in Boys in the Hood. But I think we, you know, I think it might appear later. I think it will appear later. 
I think this was so well crafted out <laughs> as far as what he was trying to do that he didn't let that slip through the cracks because like you said even the um you know the villains quote unquote the bloods that kill uh yeah. that kill Ricky I'm not going to say that they're they're redeemable but you're still like like you said like oh these are you know mm-hmm just kids. <laughs> if you didn't maybe verify that like that pacifier thing was a real thing, I might have said like that character is like, what is this? Like, yeah, oh a trend yeah, here. no, no, no. But if that's a real <clears> thing, <throat> then <laughs> he and he's he's so pivotal to the crew, just like such a real character yeah. in the crew, you know. You couldn't take him away. He wasn't like a frivolous stereotype. Yeah, you know. I I have seen some films where. It might not be a black character we're talking about. They might stereotype, you know, a white person yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. an Asian person yeah. or something. We'll see it if it, like, all right, goes too far. Or it could be parody. We don't know. But I'm curious about this award if we uh, if, if we encounter something where it's like, whoa. It could be a woman, too, because we know a lot of the films of the era, again, not just black teen films, a lot of films of the era had just, like, crappy written women characters yeah you know, so. oh it's coming <laughs> it's coming <laughs> all right cameron fry award and this is one we get out for characters who look too old to be high schoolers it's tough here we don't see a lot of school they're supposed to be teenagers but we really don't know you know honestly from my opinion i think it's a little too hard to say yeah yeah we, we don't know Same. where everyone is yeah so <laughs> we'll skip that one so in terms of like reviews, 96% of the critics on Rotten Tomatoes thought this was a positive movie. 93% of the audience, so really high. On Letterboxd, which is like something like film nerds used, 3.9 is the score. So if you round it 4 out of 5, no one ever gets a 5. That's a really great score here. Most people really like this movie. And you, if you look at people scoring, very few people were, are like, eh, or this is crap. You know, you don't see that a lot. Even today, this movie has a following. Maybe more so than when it came out. I think, like I said, when it came out, a lot of people were like, this is, this is such a random memory that just came to me. But there was this show called The Parenthood. Not Boys in the Hood, The Parenthood. It ran briefly. Yeah, I remember that. But, you know, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but black creator, black writer, you know, black He, was, family, he yes. was the dude that was Meteor Man? Yeah, Meteor Man, that guy. Yeah, what is this guy's <laughs> name? I gotta look this up. Oh, don't tell me, don't tell me. I know it. Robert Townsend. Yes. Robert yeah. Townsend, yes. So this was his show, if you, uh, you recall. And I've talked about this with my friends. My first introduction into, like, black culture... Most of my friends' first introduction to black culture didn't come from movies because our parents weren't taking us to see Boys in the Hood right. or, or whatever, you know. But TV's TV, right? So for a lot of people, it was the Cosbys, but whatever. But I'm a little bit younger than that. For me, it was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. That was my first real introduction to black culture, believe it or not. And watching it, uh, it recently was on HBO Max, and watching it again, I'm like, shit, like, this is the first time I heard this or saw this, yeah. which is crazy. <laughs> so TV is really important. But this guy show The Parenthood, that didn't run long. They had a whole episode that was targeted against Boys in the Hood. That They had a director. He made a movie called Killer in the Hood. It was like his fifth Hood movie. And the, he played the dad, Robert Townsend. And he was like, they make movies that seem like, you know, black neighborhoods are violent and all that. And that, you know, it's not right that people shouldn't see that. 
And at the end of the movie, he's like, guess what? I found your real high school. It's almost like a pre-Eminem moment where he's like, oh, you know, you grew up in a prep, or you were into a prep school. You don't even know what the hood is like, like me, you know? And I remember as a kid being the influence, oh, shit, like, so these movies are bad. Like, that's not what's going on uh, But as I've gotten older, I'm almost like, I don't, I don't know Robert Townsend, but I'm almost like, fuck this guy, right? Yeah. Like, this is a black filmmaker making a black <clears throat> movie. Don't put him down because yeah. this is what he sees. You could make Meteor Man, dude. <laughs> Just make Meteor Man. That's fine. You know what I mean? Let him make Boys in the Hood. You don't have to show... Every black movie shouldn't be Boys in the Hood. Right. Oh, my God. That's but so crazy. Yeah. Fuck multiple, Robert Townsend. You know what I mean? Multiple things can exist in in a certain cultural group or... It's just silly. That just came to me again. I'm like, shit. You know? <laughs> that shit's crazy that you even remember that. Because <laughs> I remember thinking as a kid, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, he's. And now I'm looking back, I'm like, yeah, fuck him. <laughs> yeah. Dick. <laughs> Hater. But anyway, Boys in the Hood, everyone loves it, but we don't care about that. I'm handing you the report card, Kirk. I'm giving you the red pen. On an A to F scale, what will you grade Boys in the Hood? Oh, wow. And I'll just be a caveat, especially in the context of the movies we're going to cover. Does anything get an A? I have this this rule, you know, this personal rule. I'm, I'm going to give it, this is tough. This is tough. I'm going to give it an early B plus. Ooh, that's strict, I'm telling you. But, okay, look, I'm giving it the A because I'm saying we're going to measure movies against this, right? What is an A then if Boys in the Hood is? Well, the only reason I said a B plus is because I've never given anything an A. So <laughs> so technically okay. this would get the A. This Let's... is the this is the bedrock. <laughs> so I don't have a problem with that. So I don't have a problem with that. You're gonna bump it up? I'm gonna, gonna bump it up. Okay. I'm gonna bump it up. I'm, I'm only just... saying because what's going to be better than this than we're gonna examine? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe something will surprise us. Maybe A minus we give it and see if something but, but there's always the elusive A plus, so I don't know if we're gonna get there. Right. But I like A minus. A minus. You're gonna I give like it A minus. I'm gonna give it the A. Like You'll a give it the A minus. I think this is definitely an A movie because again, we're gonna measure so many things up to it. If you, the criticisms to me are not that Robert Townsend criticisms. The criticisms right. to me is that I don't know if someone who, um, you, you told me your your girlfriend Sarah was watching it, right? Did she have criticisms? Oh, she had no idea what was even going on. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yes. There would be, well, no, it's almost like she didn't even criticize because it was so outside her scope. Sarah mm, being a Filipino girl who grew up in, you know, New Jersey and had never seen the film before. Or maybe she just saw my enthusiasm, so she knew better than to criticize it. I'm, cu- <laughs> I'm curious if we took like an 18-year-old black kid right now like a black kid from today, and they watch this film, if they would be like, oh, this is cool, or be like, what the fuck is this? this is oh, bullshit. yeah, that's you know? interesting. I, I, like, what does the black high schooler watching Boys in the Hood for the first time say? Like, is this, a, do they say, like, you know, they ripped off so much shit from this? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. It's but a for, great question. For you and me, like, are something silly? Sure. That doesn't make it bad. Yeah. I enjoyed watching this front to back. I saw it twice before. You know, we talked, and like it was an easy hour and 50 minutes. It was fun to watch. Yeah, 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 yeah. cool to watch. I love what was going on. So I can't... And I th- again, I think for the scope of what we're going to cover, I think A is... Or A minus, in your case, is a great place to start, and we can measure things against this. Yeah. I think a flat A is, is it. I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on with that. Maybe something gets that A+. Plus. I don't know. Maybe... 
I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But as I said before, so many movies come out of this. Yeah. Because even though they were trying to do the Spike Lee thing with Do the Right Thing, this is not Do the Right Thing. It doesn't feel like Do the Right Thing at all. No. Again, Menace of Society, even Poetic Justice, and even films that aren't high school films will come out of this and feel like they're derivative of this. Yeah. This is a godfather of a lot of films yeah, of the era. Yeah, that's a big old fact. So I don't know if this is going to be applicable. I talk about it with other teen films. It makes more sense for a breakfast club and a 16 Candles, but you tell me if you want to do it or not. You know what? We're going to do it. Sleeping bag. So when you're on the slumber party, you always think, what does my sleeping bag look like? What does my Boys in the Hood sleeping bag look like? <laughs> Any ideas of what it could look like here? Oh, man. It looks like Trey's shirt. Ooh, I like that. I think that's going to be the case for, for a lot of these movies. <laughs> it's going to be that cross-colored, patched out. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, my sleeping bag looks like Trey's shirt. That's a good one. So I originally was going to be like, you know, this is an appropriate question to ask when we're talking about something like serious movies. Fuck it. Not all the movies we're talking about are serious. We're going to talk about some comedies. But here... I think the aesthetics are so strong that it's cool to talk about. So mine, I have to use that Boys in the Hood font. You know, oh, yeah. I have to use it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe the maybe another thing you could use is that, again, that Reagan poster with the gunshots. Who knows? <laughs> but I think I'm just going to go straight that Boys in the Hood font and, again, that poster, the DVD cover, whatever it is. It's like them, just the three of them walking, and he's got the shirt. Trey's got the shirt on, too, but... This is a very... 2002 was a, you know, whatever Congress does when they preserve films. They put this on this list. It's going to be preserved forever because it is cultural, culturally mm. impactful. And I think you close your eyes and I say Boys in the Hood and you see something. You see it. Oh, for sure. For sure. So this is my favorite question every week. And I think it's going to be a fun and important one for this podcast. I challenge you to pick non-teen films because I think we're going to cover the teen films. But you and I were in we're in our magical blockbuster that we can rent any movie in the history of time from the first early silent films till the movie the movies that came out this Friday. And we get to the counter. We know we're renting Boys in the Hood for our slumber party, but we want to you know we want to do this right. And we see a sign that says. Rent two movies, get one free. And I say, Kirk, I'm going to keep our place in line. You go to the back. Pick two movies that we're going to watch with Boys in the Hood. What are we watching? I mean, the first thing that pops into mind is Friday. Friday, yeah. yeah. I was hoping you would pick Friday, right? Yeah. A lot of similarities. They're a little bit older, but yeah. Friday's still a classic. Friday's still great. Yeah. Friday. And I mean, and, and don't be a menace. <laughs> how could you not you know I was like I gotta see that movie I was thinking like I gotta see that movie yeah. that's, that's a hard one to track down believe it or not oh yeah yeah I don't know what, I mean maybe I know I tried to watch it like a couple months ago and I couldn't find it anywhere like, no shit they got it I know they had it streaming on Netflix but they weren't promoting it they got it like people need to see that movie yeah again. I feel like it went in doubt Amazon Amazon has all that I gotta see they weren't yeah. renting it a couple months ago but maybe they are now huh I need to I need to watch that movie. Yeah, Don't Be a Menace Friday. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> God. <laughs> I it's That's a silly. Damn good night. But Don't Be a Menace guys. I am going to rewatch it and see if they depict those characters as teenagers cuz we might need to add it to our list. <laughs> I think 
<laughs> yeah, I think I, I think it's inevitable. <laughs> it's inevitable. We gotta do it after we've done all the ones that it like for sure mocks, and then we just gotta see. <laughs> yeah, it's inevitable. <laughs> all right, Kirk, this was a blast, and again, I think this is just the start of something really, really fun. Um, I think we're just gonna get more comfortable talking about these movies. We're gonna see some awesome movies. We're gonna see some not awesome movies. Yeah, not everyone's <laughs> gonna be Boys in the Hood. You're gonna see some filmmakers who really drop the ball, I'm sure, with this, and some filmmakers who knock it out of the park. And sometimes nostalgia is gonna propel us, and we're, we're gonna be like, you know, oh what? yeah, maybe this isn't the greatest film, but I laughed. I oh it was yeah, awesome. So I really can't wait. So um, anything else you want to mention on Boys in the Hood or? Whatever else. I know you're not a social media guy, so people can't follow you, find you, or anything like that. But anything you want to say? Nah, man. If you haven't seen it, go see it. For sure. I think there are certain movies you have to watch. Have to. Boys on the Hood is one of those have on that to. list that you have to watch. Have to. No question. If you haven't seen it, don't it. talk to me. <laughs> All right, Kirk. Thanks. Thanks again. And I uh, can't wait to talk another... Uh, all right, my man. Black teen film. I'll catch you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta think of a good ending. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so funny. It was good to get. It's good to, to to get this first one out of the way. So great to talk boys in the hood with Kirkland Shepard, a classic, and it's really gonna be our jumping off point for the series that we're doing here on High School Slumber Party, the Black Teen Experience. I can't wait to talk more movies with Kirk. And just a reminder, the format I think will change a little bit. I plan on having him here on the show front to back, so opening and closing with him because I want it to be his show too. This is a group effort. This is a joint effort between us and can't wait to talk more black teen films. And we'll settle on a day of the month or whatever it's going to be for the show so it's more consistent. Hope you enjoy this random kind of bonus episode we threw at you. More content is always good, I feel like. So the more, the better. So again, hopefully you enjoy this, and hopefully you'll look forward to more of our discussions on black teen movies. Of course, though, we'll return to our regularly scheduled programming this Friday. We're going to be talking a fun film, a cool film, an interesting an indie film, certainly an influential film in my life, The Squid and the Whale. Hey, you. Out there on the road, always doing what you're told. Can you help? Can you help me? Together we stand, divided we fall. Terrific, honeys! Well, did you write that song? Yes. If you can, try and hit it at your mother's backhand. It's pretty weak. Yes! Oh. Joan, I'm sorry. Okay. Your mom and I, we're going to separate. I've got you Tuesday, Wednesday, and every other Thursday. Oh, what about the cat? Cat? We didn't discuss the cat. I've got an elegant new house across the park. It's an elegant block, the filet of the neighborhood. Here's a desk for you to do your homework. Dad, this is for a lefty. I've come by to tell you I'm not staying here anymore. Why? Because you cheated on Dad. Your father told you. Under our noses, like a brothel, men coming in and out. You sound like your father. I want to be a tennis pro like Ivan. Ivan is a Philistine. What's a Philistine? It's a guy who doesn't care about books or interesting films and things. Then I'm a Philistine. No, you're interested in books and things. No, I'm a Philistine. And I've never had an affair with a student, though many have come on to me. That's why you might not want to be attached to your age. 
When am I going to meet Sophie? Uh, she's not gorgeous, but she's cute. Did you like Sophie? She's not the type I go for. Lily is pretty. Mm. My father said you had a weak handshake, which is a sign of indecision. His hands are so huge, I can't get a good grip. You married? No. The whole thing's very complicated. I did at the end of our marriage. Making dinners, cleaning up, being more attentive. It never was gonna make a difference. You never made a dinner. I made burgers the time you had pneumonia. <laughs> burgers. Mr. Time Magazine himself, Danny Kim, will be joining me on this episode of The Squid and the Whale. And again, that comes out this Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, at cageclub.me, that's cageclub.me, the home of High School Slumber Party, and so many other great pop culture podcasts, including one of our favorite podcasts, Third Time's a Charm, which explores the third film in a franchise, and of course, Mike Manzi is the host of that, and I'll be guest starring on that this week. We're talking Godfather 3 again. But this time we're talking the new cut that Francis Ford Coppola put out, The Godfather Coda. It's different, but we have just as much fun. One of the most fun guest appearances I've ever had. So check that out wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, once again, at cageclub.me. One more thing, guys. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. So I should leave you with appropriately something actually off the boys in the hood soundtrack the song that plays in the credits increase the peace guys that would be ice cubes how to survive south central later dudes and now the wondrous world of <laughs> And I'll be your tour guide through South Central Los Angeles. How to survive in South Central? A place where busting the gap is fundamental. No, you can't find a shit in a handbook. Take a close look at a rap crook. Rule number one, get yourself a gun. A nine in your ass will be fine. Keep it in your club compartment, cause jackers, oh, they love to start shit. Now if you're white, you can trust the police. But if you're black, they ain't nothing but beef. Watch out for the kill. Don't make a false move and keep your hands on the steering wheel. And don't get smart. Answer all questions. And that's your first lesson on staying alive in South Central Bend. That's how you survive. Hi, this is Are you enjoying your stay in South Central Los Angeles? Or is somebody taking your thing? Have you witnessed the drive-by? Okay. Make sure you have your camcorder ready to witness the extracurricular activities on Blacks by the Holy. So you and your family. You're still here? It's over. Go home.
go.